Hi guys and welcome to this week's mini-sode. If you're new to this little portion of our show, every week we do a little mini-episode on Wednesdays where Tama and I both discuss a case of an Indigenous death in custody or um, a person of colour's death in custody or just general police brutality cases. These are very short and we aim to just basically present the facts verbatim as they are. We don't try and put our spin on it or make it comedic in any way out of respect to the people involved. Do you have any notes you want to add? No, you kind of summed it up perfectly. Summed it up? Yeah. Cool. Um, are you going to go first? Yeah, or you went first last – I went first last week, so do you want to go All first right, I'll go week? first. Okay. So I will be talking about Wayne Fella Morrison who unfortunately passed away in September of 2016. Wayne was an Aboriginal man, 29 at, at the time. He died at the Royal Adelaide Hospital on September 26, 2016, days after being pulled unconscious from a prison transport van. So an ongoing coronial inquest uh, has been told he was restrained with handcuffs, ankle flexicuffs, a spit mask and placed face down in the rear of a van. His relative, Miss Rule, a social worker who has long uh, been outspoken about racial injustice, said she, like others, um, was deeply dis- disturbed by recent news about uh, George Floyd and akin his unfortunate passing away to her relative's death. So, um, so Morrison passed away while being transported in a prison vehicle. His, the inquest and legal dispute is still going on to this day. And after two years since the first hearings, um, there's been no, there's, there's been no further in, uh, inquest into the legal disputes. Um, it's the actual legal disputes themselves have been interrupted several times, uh, including an attempt by the prison guards and a nurse to have the deputy coroner thrown off the inquest. And in 2018, two years ago, and two years after the actual original death, lawyers from the prison guards argued that they should be able to exercise privilege against self-exposure to a penalty, privilege against self-incrimination, and that the coroner's court was not entitled to look at what happened after Mr. Morrison was pulled from the van. They also accused Deputy Coroner Jane Bashir of having, and I quote, apprehended bias because she had a previous association with the correctional officer's legal fund and a law firm at the heart of the inquest. The deputy coroner rejected these arguments and said the question of self-incrimination could be dealt with on a case-by-case bias. She said coronial inquest differed uh, differed, from other court proceedings that was not bound by the rules of evidence. So at the time of... Mr. Morrison's death, he was on remand after being refused bail by an Adelaide court. The inquest heard experts believe a number of factors could have contributed to his death. They included psychological and physical stress, restraint asphyxia, positional asphyxia in respect to how he was being transported, and asphyxia related to the spit mask. So, essentially, this is still an ongoing thing. Uh, police officers uh, well, that were involved and, and even a nurse that was involved are trying to essentially push this as long as they can to get the story swept underneath the rug, which has been effective 
um, if it weren't for such articles that I've been reading from, which is actually from the ABC um, and the Daily Mail made a few uh, articles about it. So if you'd like to read more about this as an article by ABC, um, we'll probably have a link in the bio for that, but I'll throw it on to you, you, Laura. Okay, so um, this week I'm talking about David John Gundy, who weirdly enough is also 29. He was a 29 um, Indigenous man who was killed in his home in Redfern by police. So Gundy was killed the 27th of April 1989 when police raided his home just before dawn. Police entered the premises with shotguns, sledgehammers and a search warrant. They were actually in the home for the purpose of trying to locate another man, John Porter, who was wanted for the assault of a police officer after firing a gun and seriously injuring two officers a few days earlier. After the police break down the door, a fight breaks out and Gundy is killed by one shotgun blast fired by an SWOS officer during a struggle. His son, nine-year-old Bradley Eats, is present in the home at the time of his death. A year after his death, the New South Wales Ombudsman released a report arising from an earlier incident involving the same SWOS officer who was in charge of the raid of Gundy's home. Previously, it had been recommended that this officer, Sergeant Basil, be removed permanently from the SWOS for spraying mace on a female police officer and making other threats to her during a 1985 anti-terrorist exercise. Later, a report by Commissioner Hal Wooten revealed some information about the search and the officer's actions. Wooten found that a senior sergeant obtained invalid search warrants by the making of patently untrue statements. Even if the warrant had been obta- had been legally obtained, the police disregarded the requirements of the warrant. According to Wooten, police demonstrated their lack of respect for the law in other ways, which included ignoring the statutory restrictions on the hours at which the warrant might be executed by raiding the premises prior to 6am, failure to announce the presence of police and to demand entry prior to making a forced entry, Assault and false imprisonment of the occupants by pointing guns at them and requiring them to lie on the floor. Failure to serve the occupier's notice as required in the Search Warrants Act of New South Wales from 1985. Seizure and removal of objects from the premises for which there was not the slightest justification, including nine-year-old Bradley Eats' storybook and failure to report the result of the raid to the Justice of the Peace who had issued the warrants as required under the Search Warrants Acts from 1985. The report is also critical of the post-death investigation, stating a part-time member of SWOS, Superintendent Harding, who was the same team that had conducted the search, was placed in charge of the post-death investigation. Within a few hours of the shooting, Harding had announced to the press that the officers had acted properly and also prepared and relayed a departmental telex to all police stations, stating this same thing as well as stressing that Mr Gundy had a prior criminal record. The report also stresses that officers did nothing to comfort or explain to Gundy's nine-year-old son the events of what had just occurred while he was in the home. In the end, Commissioner Wooten recommended that compensation be paid to Doreen, who was Gundy's partner, as well as his son. However, it doesn't appear that anyone was ever charged or let go from their position because of this, and to this day the police have refused to acknowledge the shortcomings of the raid and officers from the evening. So basically, the report pretty much outlines that they 
did the wrong thing in multiple ways and yet no one's and, been... Yeah, nothing happened. Nothing ever came of that. Um, so that's, like I said, these episodes are very short. We encourage you to do your own research, read up on these cases. We basically present the bare bones of the case and then leave it up to you to, you know, do further research and look into these cases because sadly there are a lot a of lot them. A yeah. um, And a lot of them don't get covered in the media much, if at all. Um, as always, there will be links to several organisations that you can donate to, um, specifically because we are an Australian partnership in this podcast. We specifically put charities for Indigenous Australians in our show notes and um, we'll also link the ABC article that Tama was referring to for his story. Um, and, yeah, thank you for listening in and uh, stay tuned for Friday for a full um, regular episode. Yeah, and have a good week. Yeah. Thank you. Bye.